What are you drinking? Uh, black coffee. <laughs> Plot twist. It's almost like he didn't really believe in the hydration after all. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast in Ringer FC. I'm Lisa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hunt. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing right, thanks, man. How are you? Very well, thanks. Well rested. Sleeping a treat. Finally, we got a classic Manchester United Liverpool game. The first time in a little while. I'm glad. Well done. Congrats. Any admin? Um, any admin? I've got a piece coming up on the ringer, ringer.com forward slash soccer in a couple of days, which should be fun. Do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, yes. Study about shows if you want to listen to the music we play out on. There's a playlist of them on Spotify. Just search for Stadio Outros. Mm. And yeah, if you listen to us on the podcast app that allows you to rate and review, please do so. And I think anything else, any other admin? The only other admin is that I hope everyone stays safe and well. Yep. All right, so today we're going to kind of whiz through some football. A little bit of FA Cup. Big weekend in the Bundesliga. Yep, big week in Serie A. Big week in Serie A yep, and, yep. Um, and quite a fun weekend in La Liga. Yes, indeed. We're going to be starting with the breaking news about Frank Lampard. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube. Car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. We've got some breaking news about Frank Lampard. We do, we do. So this is the breaking news. So Matt Law at the Daily Telegraph uh, posted a piece while we were on air. Exclusive, Frank Lampard to be sacked by Chelsea. Confirmation expected today. I don't think Chelsea, because you know, Chelsea wouldn't have cared too much about what he was saying to the press. I think this is more the internal issues. Um, and it, I've got to say, shout out to Liam Toomey at The Athletic, who's the Chelsea correspondent there. He took a lot of criticism from a lot of people. A lot of people said, you're posting these articles at the wrong time, you're creating discord, and he was just doing a good job of reporting. But it seems like, sounds like the discord in that club was accurately reported. So shout out to him, doing a difficult job of reporting there. And we said it like, Lampard always had that challenge with all these new players. He was managing the young players really well, but struggling with the players that were brought in. And I said this, I think, in the last podcast, that maybe he does better with players who are in his image, who've had his journey, coming through the ranks. Almost a kind of Ajax thing where you can impose your will or impose your vision on players coming through, but maybe struggling a bit more with the players that you bring in. And, you know, we say that sacking a, sacking manager is the easiest thing to change at a club. And I know that Chelsea have got some ill-fitting pieces, but I don't think the pieces are that ill-fitting. I think the squad is much better than advertised and I don't think it needs much. And I think the next person that comes in, if they're the right appointment, I think you will see some quite dramatic improvement, actually, Ryan. I can't say I'm surprised. No. I think that he did a, he did a pretty good job last season, all in all. 
Yes, I agree. I agree. I've said this before on the podcast, but I think he deserves a lot of credit for bringing through Chelsea youth players and yes. giving them opportunities when the pathways to the first team seemed to be non-existent for a while. Mm. I think that brought him a lot of goodwill last season. I agree. Yeah. That clear shift in direction. And I'm not sure if we mentioned it on the podcast, but I do wonder whether you know he wanted those players to come in. The top well, because actually, because because it gives you it gives you an added pressure that I don't think he needed, and I don't think he wanted, and I think he was quite enjoying using players like Tammy Abraham and Callum Hudson Odoi, although not as much Mason Mount, Reese James, these kind of players, giving these players an opportunity. When you spend over two hundred million pounds on a squad that already made it to the Champions League, you've kind of got nowhere to hide, and I think that this is the difference between someone who gets fast-tracked as opposed to someone who has been used to managing squads for a while of different dynamics. Ken Early chatted to Rafa Honigstein on second captains last week about the potential of Thomas Tuchel going to Chelsea and just the dynamic of young German coaches. And Rafa made a really good point, which is easy, you know, easy to overlook, is that coaches like Nagelsmann have been coaching youth sides from their early 20s within professional setups. While a lot of these ex-players who get fast-tracked into high-profile jobs are playing football, the coaches who maybe didn't have the most illustrious playing careers who start young are getting experience coaching in different dynamics and coaching across, you know, learning how to deal with personalities. Being a alpha footballer and a kind of golden boy like Frank Lampard, I think is quite a hard skill set to switch into management because... Mm. It goes from being all about you to not being about you at all. There are too many more variables to control, yeah. Yeah, and you actually have to worry about everyone else. You have to make sure that everyone else's well-being comes before your own. Yes, I, think, I agree. Especially in the modern era, I think, and especially in the modern era, I think that my management is so key and empathy plays a huge role. You know, I, don't admit, I just don't think a lot of these players, ex-players, are massively empathetic and I think you actually saw that with Frank Lampard's attack on Liam Toomey from The Athletic that was just a really spiteful unnecessary thing to say I agree I agree you can disagree with the press all you like you send a lot of Twitter followers somebody's way if you're doing that yeah, but you're but also that's attacking a, real... a Chelsea fan like I think Liam's a Chelsea fan right so therefore that's why you know like a lot of a lot of people at the, at the Athletic who are covering the clubs that they're cover, covering are fans of those clubs you know Carl's yeah. a Man United fan Amy Lawrence, James McNicholas and Art de Roche are Arsenal fans and they're covering yeah. Arsenal at the Athletic. It's like they, they want the best for the club. There's yeah, no agenda kind of, there. They're, they're not, you know, it's not, it's not like they're sticking a Fulham fan or a, or a Spurs fan in as a Chelsea correspondent. You know, there's no agenda there. They're, yeah. covering, the, they're covering the club for the fans. And I can't remember if I said it on the podcast or not. Maybe we were just talking about it, but like it's a sign of how poor things have got that Chelsea fans have turned on someone like Frank Lampard after 18 months. Yes, yes. That's a sign of how troubling it's become. And on the football pitch, we expressed concerns about fit earlier on in the season. We mentioned this on the last podcast, but there was a point during the season where we, I think we, we said, ah, oh, actually we were concerned about the fit, but maybe we were wrong. It's actually looking yeah. pretty good. Mm. And I think that was a talent thing. Mm. That's what happens when you have really good players playing in positions that suit them. I think from a, from a tactical point of view, you know, even Peter Bosch came out and said, like Rafa said this on the second captain's thing, Peter Bosch came out and said, I can't see what the plan is when talking about like why Harvards wasn't playing as well at Chelsea as he was at Leverkusen. There is no real kind of discernible tactical style at Chelsea. And when you have managers who want to play a certain way, it helps with scouting. I'm just not sure that there's actually m massive, there's not a huge amount of thinking in terms of the scouting and the tactical link up at Chelsea, apart from the fact that these are really good players. I agree with that. And I think when all these players are brought in, it became actually almost an entirely new job. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. Yeah. It was no longer, so you could almost argue, did Lampard do a good job at Chelsea? Yes and no. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yes, definitely. No. He did a really good job at Chelsea last year. And then this year, he really didn't because the demands, everything, not just the demands, but the entire ecosystem, the dressing room, all of it, all of it. You've got like players who've been decisive in late stages of the Champions League coming in. You've got, you know, you've got Timo Werner and Ziyech. And look, you can throw these players under the bus all you like, but people have got, people don't just watch the Premier League, Ryan. 
people watch the Bundesliga, they watch European football, they watch world football, and they know that Timo Werner is good. Mm-hmm. And they know that Ziyech is good. Mm-hmm. They know that Hudson Adoy is good because, like I said a thousand times this podcast, Bayern Munich do not come for you if you are a clown. They do not come for you if you're a clown. They knew what they were doing. So people watch football and people talk and people tweet and they WhatsApp and they talk about it. And the consensus, it came round on Lampard. And how many conversations happened in boardrooms between Chelsea execs and rival clubs going, do you know what? That guy is the miss. That guy is, we know your squad's not the most balanced, but that guy is a major problem. Because I still think, despite this squad being imbalanced, if, if you gave Hansi Flick the pieces that Chelsea have, Chelsea would be a monster. I, I really, I honestly believe that. I, I honestly believe if you gave Hansi Flick the same group of players within two months, Chelsea would start eating up big teams. Like I agree. There is always a danger with emotional hires, mm. you know, and sometimes yeah. they come full circle like Sol- Solskjaer and yeah. potentially Arteta. Yeah. But you just don't know. But I think that this is a problem with, you know, we, we live in Germany where there is a, there is a huge culture of young coaches coming through the ranks and they, they can progress up the league quite quickly based on merit. You know, yes. if you look at Ralph, Ralph Hasenhutl is a prime example. He comes from a third division side to a second division side, gets them promoted into the Bundesliga, takes on a Bundesliga job, and then he leaves a Bundesliga job from a Champions League side to go to Southampton, who are struggling at the time in a relegation battle. Yeah. This is where people see the kind of the, the trajectory to go to the Premier League. You know, it's like, no, you don't get to go from a top half Bundesliga club into a straight into a top half Premier League club unless you're winning the titles kind of thing. Right, right. Yeah. There is this culture of promoting up based on merit. You know, like someone like Domenico Tedesco, for example, who splits opinion, admittedly, but he yeah. got the Schalke job of merit and he took Schalke to the Champions League and then subsequently had, Hub had to come and get them out of trouble again. But yeah. He got the job on merit because of his work elsewhere. Maybe his, you know, his progression was maybe a little bit too rapid, but it was based on his job elsewhere. And the and same with fair, Tim, you know, like maybe came through. Sorry. Sorry, go on. And to the desk, just to say to that point, um, Tedesco and also maybe a victim of success because you can be mm. overextended on two fronts. Yeah. And the cha- and also once you become Champions League team, your players get targeted, their heads get turned. There's a lot of things going on there. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And like the same with Nagelsmann, like Nagelsmann came through the whole Hoffenheim setup from youth to first team. And the same with like Florian Kohfeldt at at Werder Bremen. He came through, I think he was a coach at Werder Svei, like so the second team came up through the ranks. There were a lot, there's a big history of this. Like Hansi Flick is a prime example. He was at Hoffenheim for a while and then he was number two to uh, Joachim Love. Ages, yeah. Ages, like these guys are experienced and they do... They do the hard yards, if that makes sense. Yep, yep. And in a way, that culture is really interesting because it kind of means anyone can be a football coach and it's fine. If I don't think Frank Lampard can have much to complain about. That is my point. I think that he got the job. I'm going to go full Andy Tater. He got the job on a technicality. Did. But it, like, he kind of did. did. Like, he he kind of did. did, really. He got the job of technicality of a legend that recommended him. I don't want to kind of turn this into a Frank bashing thing, but... Well, it's not because it's not, because actually, it's like, just I think... A, it's just, I don't know. I think Chelsea, yeah, yeah. It, it did. I mean, it's weird. It's like I say, it's weird because, yeah, he did an okay job last season. But if Chelsea knew they were going to go this other direction, that he maybe wasn't the right person for the job, and they should have changed it in the summer. But they knew that they may, that maybe wouldn't have been they possible because they of what happened last the season. Summer. They couldn't. They couldn't have changed yeah, the summer. Yeah. They couldn't. But I don't think that he can have many complaints because he did an okay job. He got a bunch of new toys, spent more money in the prem, prem, than anyone else in the Premier League. In a pandemic. In a pandemic. Got arguably the second or third best Premier League left back. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Second, second best, I would say. Second best. Yeah. Got one of the most widely coveted and in-demand young talents in Europe. Yeah. And Timo Werner. And that's not a joke. Right, yeah. One of Ajax's most important players or most impressive and consistent players, Hakim Ziyech, in addition to all of the stuff that they had. But he managed in his own image. This is what I'm saying, because he was the guy that came in, you know, he was signed, obviously, in 2001, and then all these huge midfielders came in and he saw off every single one of them. 
And I think there was that element of siege mentality of like, you can see them off like I did. I do think there was an element of that actually, Mm -hmm. because I won't name names, but there were individuals who he played a lot, who with that configuration in his squad should not have had that many games. And I also think, unfortunately, that he let the, um, I don't know why Fikayo Tomori has gone off to Milan. I don't know why that has happened. I think that he's taken his eye off the ball with a couple of players as well. And that is a departure they'll regret. So I just think, you know, he had his chance. He had a really good chance. He had a much bigger chance than most managers ever get. I mean, there are, there are managers that will look at that assembly of talent at Chelsea and just be absolutely salivating to get the training ground. To work, to work with players like that. Rafa Honigstein's reported that it's going to be Thomas Tuchel taking over. Okay. Wow. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah. I mean, Thomas yeah. Tuchel there, I mean, it might all blow up in 18 months again because T- Tuchel can be a spiky character. And But I think he will go in there and I think initially they will love playing for him. Mm. Players like Hudson-Odoi, I could see him being targeted by Tuchel as a key player who he wants to get the most out of. I think you're going to see some really, I think that Chelsea fans will start seeing the real version of the players that were brought in. There's going to be some exciting football, I think. You know, however this plays out in the long run, you'll see some pretty dramatic improvements, I think, in certain areas. Um, Tuchel is extremely impressive. It's going to be fun, man. It's going to be fun. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, man. Manchester United 3, yeah. Liverpool 2. And my only regret with this game was that the stadium was not rammed. Um, I watched this with Zan because we can do household to household, luckily, here in Germany. So I watched the game at Zan's place. Uh, Zan is a Liverpool fan. And I think the last time we watched Liverpool together, they also lost 3-2 to Atletico Madrid in the Champions League. So we have a habit of watching classic Liverpool defeats. And the one thing I said to Zan that I was a bit concerned about, I said, I'm slightly worried for Liverpool that you don't seem to win classic tight games. It's my mm. one, it's a small thing. I don't, I don't watch Liverpool as much as Liverpool fans do. But in relation to this game, I think this was a classic game, actually. If you look at every goal, each of the five goals had its own special piece of execution. That makes sense. Like everything had a touch where you're like, that's a really intellectual goal that's a really clever goal that's really well crafted at some level and I look at this game and I just wonder you know I think it's more of United victory than a Liverpool loss I just wonder if Klopp has a slight regret about his deployment of Curtis Jones um, because the Liverpool midfield they set up in a 4-3-3 with Thiago Wijnaldum and Milner across the middle and I felt like one of those two was slightly conservative. Does that make sense? I don't, I don't feel like you needed two, like both Adam and Milner. I felt like you needed Thiago, Milner and one other. Mm-hmm. And that was probably Jones because Jones, when Jones broke from deep, you saw late in the game, Jones won a free kick out from the left just um, in, the, in injury time. They could have got 3-3 from there. And I'm like, that's what Jones should have been doing for the first minute. And when I saw the lineup, I just thought, ah, I know that Jones is dangerous in the final third, but he's so dangerous carrying the ball through a crowded midfield. And again, credit to Solskjaer for this because one thing they did brutally was exploit the switch, the right-left switch, and they sort of targeted that gap between Reese Williams and Trent Alexander-Arnold. And that had the dual effect of pushing Trent back. It was, so it stopped Trent from getting forward, which has been hard for him anyway in the absence of Van Dijk. And it also forced Reese to keep turning his head. And I don't think it was Williams' fault. I think that there was an overload in that area and eventually like it, it was going to pay. Um, yeah, they didn't, they didn't have a fun time. They did days. not. They did not. No, 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 no. And it was really clever what they did with that. They were really smart with the switch. And what was interesting with the game as well was there was a point when, you know, when Liverpool got to 2-2 and they dominated possession after their equaliser and both their goals were beautifully crafted, like lovely dummy um, by Milner for Salah's second and Salah got a gorgeous chip for the first through by Firmino. After Liverpool scored, they were really in the ascendancy, but a funny thing happened, which was almost the United turned it into an away fixture. 
Mm. They brought on Fernandez. They sacrificed the possession football for just like, you know, Fernandez's skill is just being so aggressive, getting the ball to the final third. And it was almost like the moment, you know, it's a bit like, well, you know, in Bayern, gone to the final stage of the Champions League and they treated like a knockout. And that was, they treated like, when, once Bayern got to the final stages of the Champions League, they were like, this is our house. We're just going to roll with it. There was a moment in that game when United were like, okay, we're going to play on the counter at home. And that's it. It was almost like both managers almost got the game they wanted. But I just feel, and this is again, credit to Liverpool. This was more of a United victory than Liverpool defeat. I don't look at this and go, Liverpool bottled this because I think that the margins were so small. Does that make sense? The margins were so small. Yeah. Is that a fair assessment? I don't know. Yeah, because I thought it was a really interesting game to watch, but it was one of those games where because of the personnel that would, had been deployed initially, mm. I think it was probably harder to assess from a Liverpool point of view than a Manchester United point of view, actually, because it looked a hell of a lot more like a normal Manchester United eleven. Yes, yes, you yes. Know, that's yes. not putting any downer on the victory or because I think both sides rotated a little bit, but yeah. it really looks like you know, Liverpool kind of trying to plug so many holes at the moment. Yes, yes. Still. I think basically Manchester United just absolutely torched them on a on a on an identifiable weak spot, and I think Solskjaer yes. deserves a hell of a lot of credit for that because it's not the first time this season that he has done something quite impressive from a tactical point of view mm. in a game like that. Yeah, I quite like the symmetry for Greenwood assisting for Rashford and Rashford assisting for Greenwood. Yeah, 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 yeah. The two substitutions of Fred and Fernandez for Van der Beek and Greenwood, who neither of them had, I think had done that badly. No, I agree. Yeah. Was a real another really, really well thought out thing from Solskjaer because obviously Fernandez got the free kick and scored it, but Fernandez is just it's that kind of like extra bit of energy that you need in a game like that when it's when it's level, who I think substitutions like that for personnel like that, I think are really interesting because you don't just get a fresh pair of lace, you get a fresh mind. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Especially someone who's used to being the alpha. And I think that when a lot of players have done really well but the game's still level, like bringing on the alpha like that, who's going to actually kind of energise people from a mental point of view as well, I think is a really good substitution to have in the bank. I thought Man United were a really good value for it. I think that Liverpool obviously had more possession and more passes and stuff like that, but a lot of it was kind of like rotational, or like mm. rotating the play and kind of keeping yeah. the ball movement. Yeah, I think Manchester United just punished them. I think Manchester United created more chances than Liverpool did anyway. They were more than good value for it. And the quality of the chances as well was quite, I think, quite high. Edinson Cavani was superb. Yeah, he was, yeah. He was... Um, I loved his uh, windmill celebration as well for uh, Rashford's goal. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> I loved... I mean, my favourite Cavani moment I, I tweeted about it was after Greenwood scored and Cavani ran right up to him was giving instructions about movement as soon as he scored. He's like, oh, yeah. And he goes, oh, yeah. And try this and then try this and try this. It's like... Not yes. now, isn't it? Yes, Professor. No, no, it was like, it was like, he was just listening, going, yeah, okay, more, more. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it was absolutely adorable. And what was interesting seeing them combine, watching how good they move in concert, it reminded me of like um, Rooney Van Persie and Welbeck, you know, watching the way that those three understood each other so well and watching Cavani combine. And uh, look, here's the thing I, I criticized Cavani's acquisition when he first arrived because I didn't, I didn't see the fit. I didn't get it. I didn't get did it. Did you? Yeah, I did. I did. I did. Did like, you do it on here? No, 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 not on here. No, but like, I wrote no, I about. Can't it. Remember. I can't remember. I wrote about it at the time. I was, wasn't sure about it, to be honest. I wasn't being flippant when I did it. I was more like, ah, I'm not sure about this, but I'm glad I was wrong. Um, and I think there's something that I've noticed with United. There is someone in there. There's someone in that camp, like on the transfer side. I don't know what it, they've changed something, but someone in there knows what they're doing, because there has been a sharp shift in the last year or so, someone in that camp has managed, I don't know what it is, they haven't got a title, but someone's won the kind of internal arm wrestle. Imagine United have got like a Kaiser Soze. <laughs> they must do, they must do, because too much is going right internally that's changed. Because we had Ed Woodward and we had these concerns about who he was bringing in, but he isn't coming up with those names. Maybe it is Ed Woodward and he is Kaiser Soze. He's really not. <laughs> it's really you never not. know though, man. Really not. He's really you nice. never too, know. It's too visible. He's too visible. My one criticism of Cavani, my one criticism is he did, he posted a thirst trap via the Man United uh, official Twitter saying that he missed the fans. He wishes they could be with him. And it's like, 
this is a thirst trap, my friend. I know it's a lovely message, but you know what well, this is. Edison, you, you know thirst this. Recognized thirst recognised thirst. Exactly. <laughs> spoken by the true thirst <laughs> trap master. The master <laughs> of... Uh, the thirst master general. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've got a fucking PhD in thirst traps. <laughs> PhD in deniable thirst traps. That's your... Uh, I don't know what talking about. I don't know talking yeah, about. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Shy, humble poet bullshit. <laughs> Manchester United get rewarded by the return of Moyes to Old Trafford in the next round. They've got West Ham at home. In the That's always been. West Ham in the cup for Man United has been a tough tie for as long as I can remember. Mm. Since the beginning of time. Yeah. Any other results of note you want to talk about in the FA Cup? Chelsea, Manchester City both won 3 1, as did Leicester against Brentford. Shout out to Cheltenham only because they were superb yeah. at uh, Man City. And they re- you know what I love about that? They really made them craft nice yeah. goals. I really a, like it. Yeah, sorry. So there was a really good interview with, uh, I can't remember who it was afterwards. It was one of the Cheltenham players who was just like, yeah, we got under Pep's skin a little bit. And that's kind of, that was kind of cool. And I was just like, yeah, I, I, I really like that. that. I like that kind of like, yeah, we got him rattled, lads. I feel like it, they earned it. They, I felt like City showed, it's actually what, um, what Ian was talking about in Wrighty's house when, Mm. You want to go there and show them the business. And I feel like they both showed each other the business. Like Cheltenham really gave them a good run and Man City were like, this is why we're Man City. And I feel like it was a kind of really, it was funny, considering there's no crap, it was an old school cup tie. Like we saw mm. some really nice old school cup ties. Chelsea Phil, Foden was, Phil, Foden was, uh, Phil Foden was so good. I mean, on, he's, he's becoming, a, yeah, I mean, he's going to have to, lockdown a starting place soon I think that is becoming we have we, we could have an, an English Gundogan on our hands to be honest Arsenal obviously got done 1-0 by Southampton and what went on there um, I wrote a bit of a Twitter thread about it basically saying I think Southampton deserved it by the way mm-hmm. Arteta got caught between two stalls really and Arsenal are in a weird place where the players that you know when you would rotate for a cup tie and you would usually give young players an opportunity and they would be like really hungry to take that chance the problem that Arsenal have got at the moment is that the, the kind of mentality has switched. Yeah. And you have players like Willian, Pepe, yeah. who a year ago would be the play. Well, or they either think that they should be the players who should be getting rested for the games that are being prioritised. So you get this weird thing of, it's a bit like, well, I think the word I used in the tweet was like, it all gets a bit, why the fuck am I here? I feel like the, the lineup, look at the lineup, the front four, what Martinelli, Nketia, Willian and Pepe, that doesn't fill me with, with confidence or joy because Willian to me has never been a 10, really, never been a 10. He's always someone that can, he can join you on a counter. He's smart enough to like run a counter, but not really consistently control the, the reins. And actually what they, the problem you have at Arsenal reminds me of what United had until very, very recently, which is the drop-off. The moment the first eleven's not playing, the first yep. the first That's, attack. Yeah, yeah. I, wrote, I wrote that actually on Twitter. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so I think he got this wrong. By the way, Arteta, I think he's an amazing coach, but I think he rotated a few too many players. I don't know if Lacazette and Aubameyang were injured or ill or out, but I think there were just too many swaps in that. There were just a lot of players still at Arsenal that um, that are way too expensive and aren't good enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the Pepe signing looks more and more like, I still think we haven't heard the last of what happened there really, because it was something that Sanye, I think the, the stuff that came out about it, I think accelerated Sanye's departure from the club. Because mm. it was being investigated, do you remember? Yeah. And then we kind of just never heard anything about it. Yeah. I said on Twitter as well in this thread, like, I don't have any problem with going out of a cup. You can't win every single cup and you can't win every single tournament. Yeah. I have no problem with going out of a tournament as long as you can kind of see a reason why, whether you were like vastly outplayed or, you know, something. You can, you can, you can understand why. You know, it's like I've said a million times before, it's like you're going to lose football matches. It's just part of the gig. Yep, yep. But I think when, it's, when it was like this and it was like an own goal in, the, in, you know, in less than half an hour and Arsenal did have some chances, but it was just all a bit like, Man, I was texting my, my, my best mate, Southampton Rob. I was just like, this game's dreadful. And he was just like, yeah, it's so bad. Uh, and he was a little bit worried how tired Southampton looked, actually, because they didn't rotate as heavily as Arsenal did, mm. which is maybe a little bit of a concern for Hasenhutl ahead of the 
Yeah, because that team has been a lot of miles on the clock. Yeah, they are. But yeah, it was just even when Southampton were 1-0 up and we were just like, this this game's so dry. So, um, yeah, I mean, Arsenal have got bigger priorities this season, unfortunately, because of their early season league form. Yeah, yeah. As much as I love the FA Cup and I would have loved a, a deep cup run, there's a lot of football to play this season still in other tournaments that I think Arsenal need to get right. They've masked poor seasons before with with an FA Cup win because it's such a it's such a weird thing, isn't it? When you have a really bad league season and then you win an FA Cup, it's amazing, but it kind yeah. of shifts things a little bit. And maybe things don't get done. Briefly, a little bit ironic that Arteta went full potch and attitude towards the FA Cup. That's interesting. One tournament too many. One tournament too many. It was really. I think it is. Props to Bristol City, went through. Sheffield United beat Plymouth. Argyle 2-1. Swansea beat Forest 5-1. That's a big win. Poor Chorley. They succumbed to Wolves. Yeah, obviously Chelsea beat Lewin 3-1. Leicester beat Brentford 3-1. Burnley beat Fulham at Craven Cottage 3-0. And Everton beat Sheffield Wednesday 3-0. We're recording this ahead of Wickham Wanderers against Spurs. And also there's a there's the bournemouth Crawley Town. Game on Wednesday, on Tuesday. Why the, I really don't like the fact they spread the FA Cup out over five days, you know. And I'll continue my little whinge about that after the break. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, let's go to the Bundesliga because do you know what I love about the Bundesliga? The chaos. Well, apart from that. Marco Rosa. I mean, apart from that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, it turns out there's quite a lot that I love about the Bundesliga. <laughs> but one of the things I love the most are... Saturday afternoons in Germany. So for those of you who don't know, I've mentioned this a few times, but one of the best things about watching the Bundesliga is the Sky Sport Conference. Yeah, yeah. So you know the Premier League have basically spread every single game out so that every single game could be watched in full. And it's, it's I don't, admittedly, I don't think it's that fun. I miss having a, a, a kind of a standard kickoff time. And now likewise, yeah, just like the 3 p.m. and everyone just goes for yeah. it. Yeah. So in the Bundesliga, they've kind of kept it normally. They've kept it as usual. So on Saturday, 3.30 p.m., five games all kick off at the same time. And they have them on the conference or the conference in, in Sky Germany, which so basically, apologies if you've heard me talk about this before, but it will just cut around the games. You'll just hear a, tour in Leipzig and it will cut to Leipzig and it will be like whatever and it will show all of the games. Now after the Friday night Bruce and Derby six goal thriller which kicked the weekend off to a right good pace let's say. A right good pace? See that's why you can't sleep. You're too hyped. You're still hyped after the Derby. Too hyped on the Bundesliga. Inject it. Inject it. <laughs> the Saturday conference was just as hectic. And it continued until Saturday evening for the Topspiel. So a little bit of some cultural insight in Germany. They call the Saturday evening game the Topspiel. Topspiel de Boca. Top of the bill. Uh, whether it is or not, whether Hertha against Werder at the Olympiastadion is, oh, <laughs> is the Topspiel or not, it is the Topspiel. But it actually turned out to be a Topspiel filled with lots and lots of narrative. Yeah. So quickly going through the weekend... Let's start with Bayern very, very quickly because they beat Schalke 4-0. Schalke got off lightly this time, considering the last time. They did, but the thing is, Schalke had chances to take the lead. They did, yeah. And they were good chances as well. Yeah. Lewandowski scored again after... I mean, Thomas Muller took, uh, gave Bayern the lead after just, just after half an hour. Yeah. Three assistants out of the four goals from Joshua Kimmich, by the way. And can I say as well, in relation, if we're talking about goals, I mean, Kimmich's delivery was superb. One thing I want to talk about very quickly, David Alaba's goal, the final goal. Mm. A lot of people look at that and be like, oh, the shower keeper messed up. But the, mm-hmm. dip on, the dip on that, the dip on that strike that he hits him like 35 yards is mind-blowing. It goes up and then down and it, it comes, it dips right before his dive. It's unreal the way he strikes it. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Schalke rooted at the bottom of the table. Things don't look good despite that win couple of weeks ago I mean but just quickly before we move on from Bayern it kind of looks like it's falling into a bit of familiarity now the Bundesliga yeah and that's fair uh, Bayern have got a clear lead at the top and even though there's a long way to go and we don't know what will happen this season 
Looking a little bit ominous. It has that feeling, right? What, 23 goals now for Lewandowski in 18 matches? Yeah, which is frankly bizarre. Yeah, never happened before. Unbelievable. Right. Yeah. Any other Sunday game, Hoffenheim beat Cologne 3-0. But let's go to the Saturday games because, well, and the Friday night games because that was where the, the real drama happened. So do you want to start with the Brisbane derby? We have to. We have to. This game was absolutely incredible. Spice upon spice. It was really feisty, actually, wasn't it? It really got, it got really feisty in the first half. If Dortmund could defend set pieces, they would probably be all right this season. Yeah, that's accurate. They had a Kanji on afterwards talking about the set pieces and the space that was left. And he was just, he was very honest. It's amazing. Then the German question. He speaks really well, Kanji. Yeah, yeah, he was just so, he didn't hide from it. He was like, Mm. yeah, no, it's, we left the space. We shouldn't have done that. Didn't blame his teammates. Took collective but individual responsibility. I really liked it. I thought that's a class act. The amount of room. I th- you commented on this uh, in relation to the midfield. You said, you know, you, you felt like you could have done a job <laughs> in the midfield. And it was yeah, just- there was a point in the second half where I was just like, there is so much space in this game that I genuinely think I could come on and play okay in midfield. If, yeah, if, if you rewatch that game, anyone that gets a chance to watch the highlights or rewatch the game, the pitch looked three times the size. It looked like when a team has, it's like when two teams have never played at Wembley before, you know, like those, um, those FA trophy teams, mm. those non-league sides that get to the final and they play at Wembley, they've never played in a pitch that big. And all of a sudden they're like, oh wow, all this room. And they just spread out to all the yeah. wings. Yeah. And it was, it was not, un, it was not uncommon to see players attacking and have 20 yards to run into, mm. including with their fellow man, because their fellow man had just fanned out as wide as possible. And there was so much in this game that was exciting that, because I think with that much space, you saw the technical players come to the fore. Mm. So you saw Neuhaus just running right. You saw Sancho. Bellingham did some beautiful things. Yeah, um, I mean, Sancho, Sancho set up both Holland goals and both were really lovely, actually. Oh, yeah. yeah, Glorious goals. The first goal for Gladbach, who already had the ball in the net, but it was disallowed for, rightly so, for a foul on, on Jude Bellingham outside yeah. the box. But Nico Elvedi from a Jonas Hoffman cross that was the free kick, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. There was a thing that Lewis Ambrose tweeted, which really tickled me where you could hear, because the great thing about this game is there was no, no crowd noise at all and you could hear absolutely everything crystal clear mm. in terms of talking on the pitch. It was really great, actually. <laughs> you could hear Matt Hummel's shout, hua, hua, basically. <laughs> higher, higher. And yeah. then it was him who played everyone else. Oh, goodness. And Elvedi got the second as well after Dortmund had come back from behind. This was it. It was like 11-minute Gladbach goal, 22 minutes, Holland scores. Six minutes later, Dortmund take the lead. Four yeah. minutes later, Gladbach equalise again. Benzabaini scored just after. This was a really lovely goal, the Benzabaini goal. He's a tremendous player. Anyone that hasn't checked him out, look a bit more closely. He's Yeah, he's, he's and he's, I mean, it was an amazing goal. And it looked like he was going to have to go off at the end of the first half. He, he looked like he buckled his knee quite badly yeah. and this is someone who he had COVID and he really suffered from the post-COVID effect and he was doing and really well before before he got it he was doing really well yeah he was, he was he's a key he's a key piece for that Gladbach side yeah. but he's got a lovely lovely goal and then Marcus Turan returning from his ban came on got a lovely header yeah poor Emre Chan trying to mark three people it's not the one He's not paid enough not for that one. yeah I think Gladbach are going to be interesting in the Champions League against City it's a long way to go but that's going to be that may be my tie of the round, actually, I think. It just depends what Gladbach turn up, really. I just don't know, do you? No. This is the first time Gladbach have beaten Dortmund since April 2015. And the, every single game since then has been a Dortmund victory. So there was a straight, I think it was 12 straight defeats for Gladbach against Dortmund. No, not a single draw in that time. Because of the weekend results, it left Dortmund 7th. Because Eintracht absolutely hammered Armenia in Bielefeld. Do you know what I say? That, that's a well-functioning forward line. Kostic, Kamada, they're so comfortable. Andre Silva up top. Up top, and they got like Jovic off the bench now, who scored again. Eunice as well. Eunice, that, 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 that. Kamada and Eunice behind Andre Silva, I think, is a really nice three with Kostic coming in from the left-hand side. But um, yeah, Jovic... Three substitute appearances since returning from Real Madrid. Three goals. And what, he scored two goals in his entire Real Madrid career? I feel so. I feel for him, actually. I feel for him because it was not a good time to go there. It wasn't a good time to go there. And a lot of good, very good players have struggled there. Obviously, Odegaard as well. Yeah. We had a really good tweet from Maximilian Gritz about this goal. 
He said, is there any player that looks more disinterested in actually scoring than Jovic? The goal today and the first against Schalke just looked like he thought, well, I might as well put my th- foot through this one since I'm here. <laughs> I mean, the answer, I love, the answer, of course, that is, is Miedemar, actually. I think Miedemar is probably the one that is like that. But I Leverkusen lost again, so that Dortmund result was a bit of a catfish result. That run of form isn't great. Also, can I just say, the Wolfsburg goal is the defence again. I know. Central defence has not been, not been impressive. Wolfsburg, I mean, we're just good again. We're good. They force the pace. They're, They're steady, proud. huh? They're steady. Yeah, they are. They steady are, yeah. Wolfsburg. And I think that's it. They're just like so off the radar for a lot of people that mm. they, just, they can just go about their business pretty low key. The one thing I will say about Wolfsburg is they need to change that away kit into some form of hoodie or that colour. Yeah, is just you're, yeah you're talking, you, you, it's not gift. the first time you mentioned that. Well, yeah, they need to sort it out. Well, I don't know. Write to them. You're the, you're the one with it in there. Well, I did, but they weren't, you know. Freiburg beat Stuttgart 2-1, which is a good result for Freiburg because Stuttgart have had, I think they have the third best away record in the Bundesliga. Mm. So that's a, that's a really, really good result for Christian Schreich's side. Mines upset Leipzig 3-2. And we're good value for it. They looked really they good. They were too. good value for it. Yeah. That pitch looked so f- kind of stressful to play on, though, the Mainz pitch. I remember when someone described the San Siro back in the day in the 90s as a potato patch. And the sidelines of that game, there was the same sort of potato patch energy. You could see it. Mm. Not good for the ankles, that. Not good for the ankles. Tyler Adams took the lead for Leipzig, though. Yeah, first goal in a while. That's a really poor result for Nagelsmann because... Yeah. That would have kept the pressure on Bayern. They would have been four points behind. That defeat and Leverkusen's defeat belief means that seven points clear at the top, Bayern. But the thing is, between Leipzig and Freiburg in ninth, there's only eight points. Kevin Hatchard, I think it was. Shout out to Kevin. I think he tweeted this. The frustration about this Bundesliga going... I know there's a financial disparity in buying other clubs, but it comes down to mentality. It comes down to ultimately closing games out. And I think there is something in that. I think it's... Well, I don't disagree. I think that the, one, is, one is because of the other. Yeah, but here's the, pro- the problem is with Bayern. The problem is, and I've said this a thousand times and so have you, they've got players in that squad. If you look at the Bayern squad, there are players who've won multiple yeah. leagues and they've just, they've just, this is the thing. So they're just comfortable in it. Like, we had it with United, when United on their run back, you know, how many years ago now? It was 15 years ago. When United were on a certain run, you just had a core of players. It's the same with Real Madrid. They've won like five titles straight and you just can't, unfortunately, even if you go out on the open market and buy players in who've won lots of titles, you can't assemble a similar cluster. So unfortunately, for the time being, those other clubs just have to kind of ride this wave out. It won't, what Bayern are doing will not last forever. It won't. And they kind of just have to ride it out and prep. And I'm sorry to throw this in again because it's going to frustrate people, but should have broken the bank for Pochettino. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Last time I said on this podcast, but if you're going to try and build to overcome Bayern and compete with them again consistently, you have to take a long view. And to Dortmund's credit, they have taken a long view in the sense of like who they brought in, the scouting, but overcoming Bayern in the league is just going to take a bit longer than everyone would hope. The top spiel, like I mentioned before, Hertha against Werder Bremen, which you wouldn't really think of being a top spiel, ended up being the most pivotal game of the weekend because Hertha got absolutely hammered 4-1 by Bremen at home. Mm. And it cost Bruno Labbadia and Mikel Preitz their jobs. I kind of feel for Labbadia a little bit, but then at the same time I don't because I just don't think that he, well, he didn't deliver on, I think he came in and did a decent job towards the back end of last season and got them into a good position and there were shoots of improvement but they never okay. capitalised on those I think that was quite frustrating for Hertha because they have brought in some really good pieces I mean it's easy to forget how heavily coveted Lucas Toussaint was yes and they brought him in there you know they brought Matteo Guendouzi in on loan they've obviously got Piontek they've got other players Cunha who's actually been playing I think quite well and has proved to be quite a good signing for Hertha yeah, I'd agree. They have a top half squad, minimum. Mm. A really, really, really astute coach could could potentially take these to a European spot. I mean, if Wolfsburg are fourth... It's not a million miles away. I mean, if you look yeah, yeah, in terms of pure quality, mm. you look down, but I mean, you look down at some of the teams that, you know, from fourth down, really, maybe apart from, I mean, even Eintracht and some of the Gladbach squad, they were, I mean... 
basically, I don't think Hertha should be two points away from a relegation playoff spot. Completely agree. The way the league is this season, there was a real opportunity for someone to break into that European spots or break into those European spots who haven't been able to before. And I think that will frustrate Hertha because it's not a massively popular opinion, but I've said it a couple of times before that as fun as it might have been to cover and the kind of jokes that were at play, I do think that there were some signs of improvement under Klinsmann. Yeah. And you could see and you could see this the team starting to shift. Whether they're better or not now is is hard to, hard to say, but they're they're more fun to watch now anyway. Yeah, yeah. But with the investment that they've made from Lars Ventorst, 14th in the league is just not good enough. They do need some kind of plan and um Hertha CEO Karsten Schmidt was talking about it and he kept saying that there's like a clear plan. Mm. It was then he was then saying it was for the remainder of the season and then the future. When they announced the departures, they announced that Arne Friedrich was taking over as sporting director. We're recording this Monday morning. It's widely assumed that Pal Dardai is actually returning to take over the squad until the end of the season, which, again, doesn't surprise me in any way. Yeah, we'll see. But anyway, top spiel going to top spiel. Indeed it is. All right, man, where do you want to go now? Do you want to do a quick dart to La Liga? La Liga, La Liga. Let's go for Ricky Pooch. Oh, well, yes. Hey, listen, shout Didn't out to Frankie De Frank, uh, Do you know what? Shout out to Frankie De Jong for absolutely pegging it to smash in a ball that was already on the goal line to claim a goal instead of it being an own goal. Big you energy. I, I love to see that. Do you goal know what? And an assist. And it, because it then turned into a goal and an assist game for Frankie De Jong. Yes. And people have doubted him, but he is the truth. He is the truth. Who doubted him, really? I won't name names. You know who you are. <laughs> Never doubt Frankie De Jong, man, because he, need the let the boy be. He just needed the keys, man. Give him the keys. He, my boy can drive. And I will say this: Barcelona post Messi is exciting. It's really exciting. You've got some really. I was thinking about this. No, you are such an yeah. optimist there, Jesus. Alenia, Fatty, Pedri, Young, Pedri. I mean, you've got. Gems, you've got gems there. I'm it's it's Dembele. Dembele, oh my goodness. And also, like, I think Dembele would really relish a senior role, actually. I think he'll really relish it. And Ter Stegen with an an outstanding save. We don't sometimes maybe talk enough about extraordinary goalkeeping. I know I don't really talk about it enough, but Ter Stegen's save at 1-0 was out of this world, stayed big, and then watched the ball onto his ankle. Like, got Mm. like, oh my goodness. 2-0 win for Barcelona over Elche. Ricky got a very, very late goal, but we'd love to see so it. so happy. Yes, he was. Aww. Wonderful player. Pooch. Love Ricky Pooch with his tuck. Zidane got COVID and Real Madrid got four. Of course they did. Of course they did. Because the narrative. Narrative. So uh, Hazard scored, um, Benzema got two, and Casemiro got a header from a corner. I thought all the goals were actually really nice. There's always a thing with Real when they just take control. They're like, nah, this isn't happening tonight. We're not doing this. Like even the nature of the goals was so assertive. Mm. The nature of the finishes from Benzema. It was like they were dismissing a Copa del Rey victim in one of the early rounds, ironically enough. Yeah, so strong win for Real. But the real news here was the win for a lovely game. So I said Betis, by the way, 2-2 draw there. Oh, but- no, we need to talk about that because Sociedad missed so many chances to pull away. Oh my goodness. And then tune it up. Joaquin comes on in the 78th minute with Betis 2 0 down. He assists Canales. He's been balling the, out. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, six, in, six goals in five games for Canales to pull one back after 85 minutes. And then in the 92nd minute, Joaquin gets the equalizer. This just right. This is his 20th season in the league. 20th. Do you know how they say, you know, when, um, when Maradona died, they said that. Um, I think Jonathan Wilson wrote a great piece in the podcast that parts of history don't seem real on Argentina because it's so poetic. Mm. Joaquin's career doesn't seem like a real career. No. Like, I actually, you can't assess. You know, there are some players where you can't assess them in relation to other players in terms of greatness. Mm. They just exist out by themselves. Like Joaquin is one of those players that's just had a journey. Yeah, sorry, He's I need to a- clarify. It's his 20th season, not 20th season in La Liga because obviously he was at Fiorentina, wasn't he? Yeah. He has had a footballing journey that you can't really compare to anyone else's you can't assess it alongside anyone else's and he's just remarkable he's a perennial he's like a Zlatan but Zlatan's one comparison but 
obviously Zlatan has been a wanderer. And Joaquin is like, he's, he's like, you know, to be honest, he's like a character. Wandered, wandered back into a defeat. <laughs> but he's like a character that you'd find in a Cervantes novel. Mm. Like, he's just a kind of like folk hero. Unbelievable. Like, really special. And those who haven't got a chance to watch him, the Betis, get on the highlight reel, and then catch him when you can. Or basically just tune into every single Betis game with about 25 minutes to go. And it'll yeah, probably so just about be coming on. Yeah. And then you just get the best of the get you get the best of Joaquin in real time. Yeah, yeah. That was a really, really good game that I'll tell you what else was a really good game was Atleti Valencia. Atleti three Valencia one. That is a statement victory. That's a statement victory. Because Valencia went a goal up and Atleti had to show some real resilience to come back. And they did it in in style actually. And they played some really nice stuff. Yeah, they did. Go for Jao Felix to equalize. And he hadn't scored in a while, Joao. No, assisted by Thomas Lamar. Suarez scoring on his birthday, a lovely goal that as well, assisted by Joel Felix. And then yeah. Angel Correa scoring the clincher with just with around 20 minutes to go. You've, it's hard to look past them, isn't it? For the league. They're looking good. They're looking good. Seven points clear, one game in hand. They've still only conceded eight goals in the league this season. Simeone is making it work. Simeone is making that attack work. And it's credit to him that they look better than ever actually. This Athletic look like they can hurt you more than, in more ways than other Athletics have before. Yeah. I think. What I've always found with Simeone, I said this before on the podcast, the lovely paradox of a defensive-minded coach who likes giving his attackers freedom mm. and really wants it to work and is really patient with them. And we're seeing it with Lamar slowly enough. And we see how they celebrate together. That's the thing. It's an intangible thing. But when Joao Felix scored, his celebration is so funny. Kind of fell to the ground. They had to like lift him up. I think he was almost like mock exhaustion. Like, Finally, finally I've scored, but... Yeah, because he's had a poor run, because he was on that amazing run, wasn't he, where he was... About, he yeah. was I think he scored one less, one less in like nine games than he did in 26 last season, but now he, right. then he, then he just went on this massive barren spell. Um, I think it was because I was about to drop that Joe Felix piece. Yeah. <laughs> you just I, have it. I have to rewrite it anyway. But. Still drop it, but... Um, I will drop it somewhere. Yeah, but just really happy for Atleti in the way they're evolving under Simeone. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and I, I would love them to win the league this season. I know that's, we shouldn't really play favourites on this podcast, but fuck it. I think, I think people know where our hearts are. <laughs> I think I've been outing myself in that regard for a long time. Shouts for Luis Suarez, who has the best goals per minute, uh, sorry, minutes per goal record in La Liga this season. A goal every 92 minutes. Yes, it was the right thing for Barcelona to move him on. It was an absolutely terrible thing to, for them to sell him to a direct rival. Yes, especially, you cannot sell an elite player with a chip on his shoulder to a club with a chip on its shoulder. You cannot exactly. do this. Yeah, you cannot Suarez do this. Is, I nearly tweeted about it, but I couldn't find the exact words that I wanted to say. But it is just basically like, he's basically got like John Wick. Yes. Until, <laughs> until Suarez joined Atleti, he was the most Atleti player in La Liga who had not yet played for Atleti. All they, need to, do is, all they need to do is go and sign Jamie Vardy now. And uh, yeah. they'll have like a front three of like, Jao Felix behind Luis Suarez and Jamie Vardy. Oh my God, that's a, that's a, that's like. (sighs) We should do, we should do, we should do, we should do one in 11 of the most Atleti players never to play for Atleti and do that for like a couple of the clubs. Do you know what we should do? You know, Tifo do those amazing podcasts, Sensible Transfers. Oh, right. Yeah. We should do the complete opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to Tifo. Amazing, amazing platform. Yeah, good dudes. Yeah, I love um, to. But yeah, you know, very sensible, sensible transfers. They do those, those podcasts, you know, and they do it club by club, right? And we, could, we should just do like, like no. Reckless I, 11. Yeah, unserious <laughs> transfers. Reckless 11. <laughs> yeah. Right, let's quickly go to Serie A. Yeah, very quickly. Yep, yep. Let's talk about one game in particular. Yes. Always watch Atalanta. No, no. Stop this. Sometimes watch Atalanta. Okay. There you go. Really? I know it's a little bit more nuanced. Ooh, ooh, yeah. Sometimes watch Atalanta. Especially in games like this. Do you know what? Could have been more. They went at They Milan really went neck. for him. They and went at their neck. Ilicic was absolutely balling out. I don't want to say he looked angry, but he kind of looked like, he looked so sharp and he looks like, obviously he had that sustained kind of period out of the side back in Slovenia um, for personal reasons. But he looks like he's, and when he did come back, he didn't look great, did he? For a while. 
No, no, no. We were, he, we were yeah. quite worried actually that he was never going to return to the kind of form that he hit last season. But Gasparini was easing him in with the yeah, yeah and I think that the way that Gasparini has managed him, managed his return actually, I think is pretty superb. Yeah, but he, there were a couple of times in the first half. I think it was the first half where he absolutely just torched Milan like stepovers. I mean, bear in mind this is a big guy. This isn't a five foot six tricky midfielder this is a tall dude but he looked so sharp and the footwork was so quick and he caused Milan problems all day do you know who he is he's the Hakim Olajuwon of football actually because wow. you see the size and you're like oh it's, it's going to be a size thing with him and then he just floats yeah. like ice and the thing about him and the reason I use the Hakim analogy is because he pulls wide he hurts you equally through the center and wide mm. he can hurt you as a winger as a wide forward and he can hurt you as a 10 and he, mm. and he could, but he also, he can hurt you as an orthodox nine. Like he earned his penalty through Kessier clambering all over him. Yeah. And like, that was the, the thing with that penalty, sorry, was like on uh, watching it live, I was like, that's a huge dive. And then on the replay, you didn't see Kessig's elbow basically. Yeah. 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 Like he, and he got he Illichich, a whack in the face. Look, look, my love for Illichich is obviously well known in this podcast, but it's the way that he took up the reins after Papu Gomez had a falling out with Gasparini. Looks like he's about to go to Sevilla. But actually, it's a credit to Illichich, a credit to um, Gasparini that he won't be missed. It's a credit he won't be missed because the way this attack has been slotted together, now he's the sole focal point of it. And he's taken that responsibility and Zupata has been superb. There was a bit of chat, I think, um, to that at the end, at the end of the 3-0 defeat was going, something like, I've scored more goals than you've played in, in matches. And Zupata was just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> well done when Zlatan does this stuff I just feel like the chat should almost be was this defeat bad for your brand mm. because really ultimately we're here to play football and all, it's funny because two athletes shall we say who have extraordinary talent but whose personality sometimes had a show their skill set had bad defeats this weekend Mr. McGregor Mr. Conor McGregor and Zlatan and they're like they're two, they're two, they're two people who are so gifted but actually you sometimes wonder they could just do a bit a bit less talking because I don't think it helps. I don't think it helps anyone. Again, Milan, I'll say to their credit, this wasn't the worst weekend for them to have a defeat. Funnily enough, they're still ahead. They're still okay. They can, re, they can um, recalibrate. There's no shame in news to Atlanta at home because Atlanta will do this to teams now and again. Yeah, and they only, they only um, their lead was only cut by a point because Inter drew with Udinese. So. Yeah, they brought in Mandzukic, which is a really nice signing. And I think that's really going to help them because I think cover for Zlatan, when they have... Um, a player up top who is not the quickest, but who does other things. He means Latan's a great link man. Mm. I think it's really good that there's a rest for him because I think when he was out, when I got some good results when he was out, they did have a couple of results where they kind of clawed back draws. Mm -hmm. And I think he was, a, I think Manzuka is going to be a really smart acquisition as time goes on for them. Um, so in a way, a great, an amazing result for Atlanta. Yes, a statement victory, mm. but also a result for Milan, which is almost, you know, Frank Kessier looked more, more, un, he looked more ill at ease than I've seen him this season. Mm. But that's also credit to Atlanta because they swarm you. They really, really swarm you. I mean, they really, really did. They, Tenali, was, Tenali was, has not quite found his feet yet this year, again. But, but they just, uh, they, I thought they were just brilliant. They were fully, fully worthy of it. Um, yeah, yeah. A big upset. Kind of is an upset and it isn't. I mean, Napoli lost 3-1 to Hellas Verona and Napoli had been mm. on a pretty good run of form. Like, I mean, and they took the lead in the first minute. It's their first defeat since they lost to Spezia in the league. That's a, I was going to say this. There's a slight tendency with Napoli to have those. They do have that element of like losing. They, they, they can blow, they blow out big teams. They destroy excellent yeah. teams. High risk, high reward. Yeah, yeah. Kind of leads in a way. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, uh, Lazio beat Sass to continue a good run of form. Nice win that. Yeah, four straight, I think. Juve beat Bologna 2-0 in basically the game of goalkeepers. My God. Chesney and Skorupski in this game were both absolutely unbelievable. And without them, it could have been about eight all. Weston McKenney scoring again. Could have had a second. He has had such a glow up. Good for, good for yeah, Weston, man. actually. Yeah. I think that, I mean, I can't see them not signing him on a permanent deal. Mm. Artur got a really scrappy first goal, slipped as he hit it, deflected. I can't remember who it deflected off, but deflected in. But yeah, then they left it late, Juve. But like I say, both keepers on 
really, really good form. Juve's good form, continuing just that defeat in the Derby d'Italia recently. WSL really quickly. It was only three games took place this weekend because of postponements due to the weather. Yeah. Um, Manchester United returned to winning ways after their first defeat of the season last weekend. A win you'd expect over Birmingham, but yeah, Birmingham, Birmingham made it, do you know, it was exactly as you expect. Birmingham made it as tough as you'd think they would and succumbed, but they made United work really, really hard. Um, mm. Both goals actually, neither came by easily. I want to say very quickly, there was a long clamour for a long time about Manchester United getting a women's team. And now it just seems like the most natural thing in the world. And it's a bit frustrating because it's almost like, how hard was this really? Look how much joy everyone gets from it. Look how much it adds to the club. Did it really need to be this hard to get this team up and running? Because it's a joy to watch and they're a real, you know, they're a legitimate force at this point. Mm. Um, so yeah. So they go for Leah Golden. Yep. WSL player in the month. Ella Toon got the second. And yeah, just not a, that's a tidy, tidy win that for Manchester United because they just need to keep pressure on the top. You know, they've played two games more than Chelsea, but they've got three points more. So basically just keeping that pressure on Chelsea needing to win their games in hand, yeah. I think is really crucial. Yeah. And Manchester City beat Brighton 7-1 away, which is a big result because they struggled against Brighton early on in the season in the reverse fixture. Um, and they climb to third. They leapfrog Arsenal on the table now. So Arsenal are actually on Arsenal are on fourth without any game spare. Um, out of the Champions League spots, that is not good for Arsenal at no, all. No, no. Um, but focusing on Manchester City, just goals galore. Hang on, <laughs> two for Caroline Weir, two for Steph Horton. On I think that was 150 appearances in the Women's Super League for Steph Horton, Ellen White, Chloe Kelly, Janine Becky. Massive win for Manchester City. They are the team in that league. If anyone lays it on someone, it's funny how Man City men and women's team have the same thing where they're, but they're the most likely teams in respective leagues to absolutely blow you away. Mm. When they click, they just go for you. And I think one thing I would say is that Caroline Weir, is sometimes the player gets a little bit overlooked in that squad because mm. they've had new acquisitions, but, but it's extraordinary, actually, and gets really important goals and is normally at the centre of their pivotal wins. So, yeah, Caroline Weir, just worth checking out if you haven't watched City regularly. Uh, should we get out of here? Um, yeah. Oh, actually, before we get out of here, I want to I shout out Oliver Witten, who sent us a tweet, and I want to talk about this. <laughs> it's really funny. Speaking of, uh, you know, Tuckle maybe, joining Chelsea, loves pressing. Oliver Witten tweeted as saying, turns out Aragorn articulated pressing as an offensive tactic long before we all learned what Gagan pressing was. Aragorn? Yes. <laughs> what? Aragorn? What? As a- <laughs> and he sent us a, he sent us a, thing for, a text from the book. I love this. The hasty stroke goes off the stray, said Aragorn. We must press our enemy and no longer wait upon him for the move. See, my friends, when I have mastered the stone, I learned many things. Oh my God, that's incredible. <laughs> oh my God. This is the content. This is, I live for this content. Aragorn, can I, can I say this as well? Aragorn as a manager would be immediately the most handsome manager in world football. <laughs> let me, uh, let me follow it. So he wrote, there's a, there's a, there's a thread about this. He, he ended up writing it. So he did the whole Aragorn, Pep Guardiola, handshake emoji, pundits overlooking pressing as a key to their strategy. <laughs> then followed it up with uh, Mordor caught again trying to pass it out from the back. Should have proofed it into the channels for the big trolls. <laughs> Can you send me that? That's absolutely inspired. I shall do. Uh, there's a picture right at the end of it, you know, the, uh, and <laughs> this would never happen with man to hobbit marking. <laughs> Baggins with a free header. <laughs> they played the zone. They didn't, didn't pick up the spare hobbit. <laughs> and so on that note, let's get out of here. Um, we hope everyone's staying safe and well. Thanks, Oliver, for that. That was really fun. That's made my morning. I knew it would. Um, oh, gosh. Don't forget, you can check us on Twitter, at Stadio, on Instagram, at Stadio Football. Don't forget to check the ringer.com forward slash soccer. Write your house on Wednesday. Musa will be there. We're playing out this week on a 
a beautiful one from from Moondog, the legend that is Moondog, a track called Duet. Yeah, look after yourselves, everybody. We'll be back on Thursday. Yep, yep.